0: Welcome to React Roundup. I'm Jack Harrington, your host for today. And with me is my esteemed colleague, TJ Van Toll. Hey, everybody. And our special guest for today is Adam Berg. Hello, Adam. Hi.
1: Hi. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to top-end devs but what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to top-end devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want right so whether you want to be an influencer in tech Once again, that's com.
0: So, Adam, you were talking about all kinds of things, including a recent article on server-side rendering, which is how we got interested in you. So why don't we start off the conversation by talking about server-side rendering? Sure. So a bit of background for
2: why, why it came up for me. I'm working on an app called Kaizen, which is a music app for incrementally releasing music. And we had the need to... When you share links on certain social media sites like Twitter or Facebook, that you get the nice kind of picture and description that shows up specific to the page that you're actually on, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely not something that you kind of get for free with your standard create react app. And so it kind of had the, the site built out and we're ready to go. Okay. Let's, let's get people using this and sharing it. But if you shared a link to your song or whatever, it would just say, oh hey, here's the default page title of the thing, which no one's really going to look at, at that point. So like what is this thing? It doesn't exist yet. And so I needed a a quick way to bring in server-side rendering without kind of changing too much. And basically, port to next. I'm guessing. Maybe could,
0: what's that? Sorry. Well, you could port to next, which would probably be a big. Deal. <laughs> well, that'll open up a whole thread of conversation if you want. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm not, not the biggest fan of, of that one, but um, hmm, okay. So you know eventually, I I wasn't finding. I pretty much found what you said is you Google that and it's like, well, just use Next.js. And I was like, well, yeah. I, I already I already have an app and. I can't imagine it's that difficult to have it just uh, return me the rendered HTML. And so I dug down a little bit and eventually I said, well, I haven't found anything that's just simplified this for me in writing form. And so I did the work, put it together and put this uh, article together. And personally, I find that it's not that complicated. You kind of just put together a, an express route that has your wrapping uh, HTML, and you just slap in your rendered React component using React DOM server, and then you're done. And then you have server-side rendering.
0: I, mean, I think the big thing with server-side rendering is like the, the data prefetch, right? You want to go and if you're going to go and have like a service that you need to talk to on the page, I mean, that's going to use your product detail page, for example. You're going to have to hit the product detail API. And a lot of folks, well, you know, they want to do that on the server side and then kind of one render the page that's got all the product detail on it, like in the HTML so that it shows up in with Google. But uh, we can quibble about whether that's actually the case anymore since Google for years now has done JavaScript rendering. But and then also on the page. So were you doing any data fetching in this? Uh, in the tutorial,
2: I wasn't because I just stripped down straight to the server-side rendering. Got but it. for ours, we we definitely were because we needed to pull like the the title of whatever it was, yeah. the track or the artist, the image that it was actually going to display. And so, I mean, maybe that's worth a, a follow up to kind of show that. <laughs> but uh, I that as well is kind of okay. You've you've got your HTML, and you just need to make a couple requests to to fill in whatever uh, information that you're going to need to
3: populate. Yeah, I'm kind of struck just skimming through your article, and we'll include this in the show notes too for people that that want to follow along. How pretty straightforward actually it is. Cause mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of per your premise of the article, we tend to think of server-side rendering as one of those hard things that you need a big and fancy framework to solve for your app because it's so hard. And there's definitely harder use cases. Like it gets it it gets trickier when you get into more advanced stuff, but for your example, if you need something simple, it's kind of nice just to have the option to be able to roll something yourself. Or if you have some custom need in mind for your apps, like it's not necessarily the world's hardest problem uh, for for some of these simple use cases. Now, React was designed
0: to do it. I mean, that was the like the big one of the big selling points early on was isomorphic JavaScript.
3: So, out of curiosity, since you you mentioned not liking Next so much, I'm gonna <laughs> yes. uh, is it I'm gonna predict yeah, I'm curious. Is, it, is it because Next is do you think it's just too heavy handed like takes over too like too much too heavy hosting I I'm kind of curious I want to dive into that a little bit
2: Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> I'd say it. There's nothing wrong with using it. Obviously. And I have not also used it extensively, but I have definitely gone through the tutorial. I've just seen how it works, played with it. But I, most of it fundamentally for me boils down to just kind of getting getting stuck in the way that they do things. And like even, even with React, that is kind of a thing where all of a sudden at some point they're like, oh, hey, hooks are way better. And if you had been using React for a long time, you have a big chunk of code base that's class-based. And all of a sudden... The world says, "Cool, nope, we no longer use that. We only use hooks." And then all of a sudden, you get a whole bunch of people on your team, and they don't know how to use the React code that you've already written. Um, So that's that's just kind of an example of what I see happen to these kind of like large libraries, frameworks, ecosystems, whatever you want to call them. Whereas I kind of, I personally like to have good control over how things work, and then you can kind of control and change things without being so stuck in your ways. Whereas Next.js now, everyone who's used it, no one's going to want to change dramatically from there, even if something better kind of arose. And so you're kind of stuck with the initial structure of how you've done things. And then even then they make changes and it's like, okay, well here's version whatever 5.0 and you now have breaking changes and you need to change your entire app just to accommodate what Next.js has changed rather than knowing, hey, this is where my app is at. This is the next incremental step I need to make to make a, a large improvement. And you have no kind of like dependency on other people using this thing.
3: Yes, it's, it's like the classic software development, any sort of dependency you take on, right? The, the heavier dependency, the, the, the less flexibility you have moving forward because you do get quite coupled to it. So then it becomes a matter of, well, am I getting enough value out of this dependency to make to warrant the the lack of flexibility and it's the classic trade-off because there's no like yes or no answer to that it's always going to depend on what you're building and your team and and everything so it's just something that trade-off you have to learn over the years and try to make the best call you can for every problem or situation that that it comes up basically build or buy right yep just not buy in this case, free, of a certain degree.
0: Yeah. Guess, you know, like, you can post yeah. it on but, yeah. Yeah. Well, I so- mean, the, other, the, the contrasting point that I always see being, like, a lazy guy, inherently, is that, like, if you go and build your own SSR, right? Like, I'm sure you did a great job, and I'm sure the article's awesome, and, and that's great. Like, at the same time, like, I can go and pick up somebody who knows Next.js, and they they know that, right? And, they, and they're familiar with how that code runs, whereas... You know your code is custom, and so there there is that trade off as well. Like you know, is this right. really the the bytes that we want to the code that we want to maintain going forward?
2: But then I I would probably expect that that next JS person on on average, because definitely not all of them, doesn't actually really know what server side rendering is even doing. <laughs> oh yeah, well possibly. <laughs> which which is something that I I would kind of like to see a lot more of, especially kind of in front end JavaScript land of just. People like really understanding what's happening so that they know what's available to them. And that's where I find these kind of like libraries just like hide a whole bunch of kind of like fundamental knowledge. So again, like it's not saying don't use this at all, but I think I'm more on the make sure you kind of like understand what's happening underlying before you pull something in and just use it and think that, oh, well this must be doing so much stuff when sometimes Maybe you just need a simple, small aspect of it.
0: That's the, the old maxim. Understand the code that you're putting into production. Yeah. 100%. But the same, I like. I've, I don't know if you've run into this, but I actually ran into some folks recently, or just here and there, where like, I write in Next. And I'm like, well, what about... you know? And, and, and they're kind of like, well, <laughs> it's not React. I'm writing in Next. Or I say, how about using Next? And they're like, no, 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 I want to write in React. And it's like, wait, React is... Wait, hold on. Like, Next is built on React? Like
3: I'm lost on that, but whatever. Yeah, people like so. I think it always comes into the the specific project because sometimes I think it's important to know that, and sometimes it's just important to ship something quickly, right? (laughs) Like because I've also had sites where I just need to spin something up to do something, and I don't care what it's doing under the hood, right? I have a problem, and I need it solved. And sometimes I like I'll use platforms that purposely make me not care about those details. Versus if I'm building something that's for sure going to stick around for a while, right? If I'm doing anything for like a corporate job or anything, then that equation gets flipped quite a bit. And right. chances are I'm going to want to put some time and effort in understanding what things doing and not necessarily throw it out just haphazardly. So it's also the team you're working on too, because <laughs> I've also worked on teams where some t- I, I know for a fact that people that are going to be working on this app are totally not going to understand the underlying details, right? Some like Sometimes like big enterprise jobs, you just have new people coming in all the time, people that are uh, less less talented or knowledgeable, and you have to sort of be able to account for that. Uh, sometimes you want to protect people from doing <laughs> too much low-level stuff too. So it, it always depends.
2: Yeah, I'd also maybe throw in there just that the it kind of feels like a trap, for lack of a better words in terms of uh, where Vercell is headed, like to me mm. it's it's almost scary having like 300 million dollars of funding behind an open source framework because you're like, what what's the play here? Like that's and you, I, you know what it is. it's their there's their hosting option, but from there, what happens? and it's just kind of the the control over that is potentially future scary.
0: Yeah, so well, they're also going totally to go get into like a bunch of different frameworks. I think they're also doing like, uh, I know they're backing Svelte, I want to say. They, they got the guy from Svelte in there.
3: So it's more than just React. To it's totally weird. I, I feel like we could even have an entire conversation around like the, the VC funded open source. How Oof. crazy that's gotten in the last yeah. handful of years, because I still, you cannot make a coherent argument to me that justifies the amount of money that Next.js has, because <laughs> I I see some future that they can make money from hosting, but it's not like their hosting is fantastic and you can host Next.js apps like anywhere. Like we have Next.js apps at Blues and we're not hosting them with Vercel and we're not paying them anything. And I know lots yeah. of other people are doing that as well. So I I don't know, It's I, I find it staggering the amount of money that's coming in and how that's going to affect the future of some of these frameworks is something that, at least in like the front end world, we really haven't had to deal with much at all like the, the the vc money that's pouring in is somewhat of a new phenomenon
0: right yeah there's also like redwood js just got i think a bunch of money and they're they're doing some interesting things too because they're actually like funding startups which is kind of cool and there's also remix
3: of course they mm. so they got a lot of money or got some money as well so some of the companies in the tooling space have gotten some money recently i'm trying to remember exactly who but there's some somebody Den- deno
0: just got money yeah. That's great. Oh, right. And Deno's not. Oh, they had a new framework come out too. So, yeah. yeah. I think right? is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really should try the Deno React thing again because it's been a while and it's cool. I mean, I, I do like Deno.
2: Have you so, tried Deno? Yeah, I haven't. It's on my list. Yeah. I just haven't crossed that border
0: yet. I mean, you're not doing enough right now. You can. You can <laughs> yeah, well, just, there will probably
3: be an article pretty soon about that one. <laughs> so we we've talked a bit about frameworks, and I know one thing you you've told us is that you're also working on a big like Angular to React conversion yes. as well. Which I know we have a lot of listeners that are either in that situation or in companies that are considering that sort of thing. So. I'd like to hear your story behind that. Maybe you could just quickly, like, sort of set the stage for us. Um, for sure, yeah. And like, what what sort of thing you're working through right now? Well, we we kind of skipped the formal introduction, so I'm oh, yes. currently <laughs> VP of Engineering
2: at Dubsado. and this is where we're uh, facing this uh, transition from Angular JS to be clear, not Angular. Okay. The other one, <laughs> whichever <laughs> number it is now, right, to 18. React. <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> and so. I started pretty early there as kind of like f- first employee, maybe six years ago. I can't keep track of time. And uh, my brother had kind of set the stage for how things were initially built. And that had been in AngularJS, I believe should have been before react was even there or maybe like react had been born in some small corner of the world and hadn't really exploded to what it is now yep and i got in there learned it did the tutorial and we just started pounding out new stuff and no no questions about anything because we both knew it it was good enough we were getting stuff done we're building a product like you said earlier just get it done there's making stuff doesn't matter and then maybe if few years, even maybe a little bit more, it became pretty clear that React is kind of going to emerge as the one that, oh, hey, this is what people are learning. This is what people want to use, etc. And then you have kind of the explosion of coding boot camps that are teaching (laughs) people specifically React. And so then you can now have a person who's already learned this thing and hire them with that experience. And they've learned patterns, they've learned whatever else specifically for that. And so the people that we had at the time we were a small team maybe 5 at that point we all knew Angular JS but if we were going to scale the team there's no hiring an Angular JS developer there might be yeah. but it's a lot more difficult and so we we're kind of faced with a bit with that struggle and then as well some of the in just in general some of the ways to use Angular JS is a bit weird but then you c- layer on top of that just the technical debt of trying to build things quickly And you've got a bit of a mess on top of a framework that people are maybe not going to know. And so, and I, like the new people I talk to bringing onto the team, I have to let them know, I'm like, with AngularJS, there's kind of a lot of magic that occurs. And if you don't know that magic, if the code is even slightly confusing, it makes no sense. Because (laughs) there's just whatever attributes on HTML elements that aren't really HTML elements, and they're just doing random crazy things oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. I that. so that's kind of what leads us to the motivation of saying okay well i think we we do need to consider what bringing react in looks like and that kind of stated in the do we do it do we do it do we not do it situation for a reasonable while and then i don't know if i exp- i think i experimented with it just outside to see if we could just bring in React on top of everything else and Ooh. just kind of start floating some new components. So we could just decide. Instead of saying, yeah, we're committed to this decision, it was more of, hey, if we could just build some new stuff in React, we can better decide, is this the way that we want to move forward? And so we used Angular to React, which is a library that basically allows you to create an Angular component that just wraps your React component. And we started replacing things from the inside out. And if anyone's thinking about it, I would highly suggest the route because it really cool. gives you some time to explore it without just a fully committing. Like we have a pretty large front end aspect of our app. There's not no way, but it would be a very long time before we said, hey, cool, we have an entire React thing. We redid everything. Yeah. And so that even now, like we're still running that where we're running this in between where we've got maybe, probably more than half of our apps still in AngularJS. And then all of our new stuff is currently being in re- built in React. And what I've found is all of your old code pages, if they were working before, they're still working now. Like There's no reason to change it. It works, looks, does exactly what it used to do. And the, the problem that I wanted to solve is hey, okay, anything new we're writing, we have these new people and they don't know how to use it. And so now right. they can work in an environment that's mostly familiar to them. We teach them kind of the glue layer and say, hey, yeah, this is this little bit of a weird thing, but here's a, a way to create an Angular component out of a React one.
3: Is the library's name React 2, like the number 2 Angular, yeah. just to make sure I got it right? Oh, interesting, because yeah, yeah. I, I had not heard of that before, and I've done a lot of stuff covering different transitions. So I'm glad yeah. to hear that's working for you, but it, it, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, one One theme, because we've covered sort of transitions of various sorts. I think Angular to React is probably the most common one, and I think a recurring theme is that, to your point, the best way you have to come up with some sort of migration plan that's gradual, um, if you ever want to get this done, because like you can't just sit down and drop everything and say, okay, for the next three months we're gonna rewrite everything and then try to push it out in one go, because that's just setting yourself up for failure and frustration and all sorts of other problems. And, but I had not heard of this library before, so I'm just uh, looking around, and we'll make sure to toss this in the show notes as well. Oh, that's very yeah. cool.
0: I mean, it, the big e-commerce companies I was at, like, we would go and do route-by-route route shifting, you know, so you'd have, like, the slash-checkout route. You know, you'd go and have the entire app route, and render everything, and then you'd go and take, like, Akamai or something and say, yeah, no, for checkout, go and send it here. And then you'd make it an app that was just specifically checkout, and it was entirely React. Right, and where the old one was you know, jQuery or whatever, and as long as you could handle the same cookies and manage the same identity, it didn't really matter all that much. But you know, again, you'd have to like, go and shift over everything. you have to make a whole new version of the header that was exactly the same pixel-perfect <laughs> representation of the right. jQuery header, and it was just a blah,
2: Yeah, so we actually have almost two more strategies, I would say, on top of that. So yeah. we started with this uh, React to Angular as, again, kind of like test ground of, do we kind of more commit to this? And then we've recently been rebuilding one of our, we're kind of like a client management system. So people can send out forms and invoices and stuff to their clients. And already even in Angular, that external client facing app, I had, we had separated out into its own individual app. Mm-hmm. But it's a much smaller app, which is why we did it. And we wanted to load faster, et cetera. But that gave a really clear opportunity for, hey, just like you said, we can chop this off and say this entire thing is just its own app. Right. And so we've just recently released our first portion of that as, okay, cool, this is just a React app. And we just take the the URL that's being requested and say, okay, cool, this is all good. This is just a React application. So that's one other strategy. And then again, recently, we've come up with uh, what I hope is kind of the last layer of complication in this transition is, so we we wrapped our Angular stuff in React, which has been fine for kind of placing from the inside out, but we've now taken it the opposite direction where we've wrapped our Angular app in React. And so that React can then control the routing and Mm. we can then start moving our routing and everything into React and basically have a pass-through that says, hey, if this isn't a React route, just send it straight to the Angular app, and then the Angular app kind of initializes itself just that way.
0: Manages all the DOM from there down, and you're like, don't, just don't mess with it. Yep. Treat
3: it like it's sort of a D3 component or something. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you're, are you then converting like a route at a time sort of thing? Is that the, the idea for letting Angular, or for putting React in control there?
2: Pretty much. So as soon as, like, because pretty much you have a one to one relationship between a route to a page and so when you go and do a page that page becomes react everything below it should become react and then you point your route to that new react page
3: okay yeah cuz i imagine probably the the trickiest part of all of this is getting the routers to like not compete with each other mm-hmm. um so i imagine there's some fun in <laughs> making that sort of thing work as well cuz angular js is it just you at that point? You just not have any routes registered in Angular JS, like React just controls all of that and then controls the delegation from there.
2: Uh, pretty much. If if I remember correctly, basically if you're on a React route, the Angular stuff just just isn't, isn't loaded at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. Um, and then if it isn't a React route, then we bring in Angular, and then it's kind of like your same like uh, React router if you don't have a route, here's the other thing that you do. It's just that that other thing is an entire Angular app that also handles routing. There's definitely a couple like glue pieces, but yeah. so far it doesn't look
3: too too bad. <laughs> I imagine those can create some uh, very fun to debug moments. You <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> screw something up.
0: <laughs> well, it works, works probably. Waiting. That's one yeah. of those things where it either works 100% or it doesn't work 100% and you're done. Yeah, kind of like. which is almost easier to deal with. It's when it yeah. only works fifty percent of the time, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it's a spa, right? Like it's a single page app as you're yep. rolling around. Okay, so that, that does actually have some, a bit of a complication there because you go like you're doing all your router dot push sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Hey, folks. I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, I mean, it seems like a lot of things these days are kind of pushing us more toward productivity, right? We install VS Code extensions. We do CI/CD. We kind of get this stuff off our plate, automate as much as we can, and move quickly. And one of the tools that I tell people to get is something like Raygun. Uh, do you want to just explain real quick how Raygun can help with the productivity?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's several-fold. I like to think of Raygun as... Um, Almost being like a full-time engineer on your team that's keeping an eye on things and is able to report the important faults or performance bottlenecks so that you aren't guessing. Um, and so that's one element but then to that point where we store as all of the data we possibly can uh, on the context of the error or performance issue so that you know we integrate with source control systems, you can jump into our APM and get method level timing details with the source code right beside it. So if you're looking at it going, why is this page so slow, you know, um, you can usually just eyeball the code right there and then. So speeding everything up, which I think is really important with, you know, our industry is under so much pressure right now. Yeah. You know, um, you know we've got to try and get people be more efficient because we, we're not going to have a whole lot more people suddenly.
1: Right, absolutely. And I, I just, I love that idea. I've done plenty of optimizations myself, right? And having an APM tool that will actually say, yeah, uh, this is the slow code, right? So instead of me trying to guess, or look at it and go, oh, do I have an n plus one query here? Yeah, it just tells me where the problem is, and that's really powerful in something like Raygun. Or
4: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Iron Man, and you know, the 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 idea is that I would love a virtual Jarvis that's just going, hey, there's this <laughs> thing. Do you want me to go fix this? Do you want me to solve yeah. that? It's like that, that's that's where we need to get to.
1: Yep, absolutely. Well, if you want uh, the next best thing, go to raygun.com. Yeah, it's not Jarvis, but it. It will tell you where the problem is. You can go fix it. You can get a free trial right now if you want. It's raygun.com. Do you have any other tips from the
3: process that you would recommend to people having gone through this? Like anything in terms of how you structured it or other things to include it or like things with how the the, the team approached it, like how you divided and conquered? Just any other recommendations you have?
2: Probably lots. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Definitely. And this depends on your size, but even above like five pages, I would probably suggest incrementally adopting it for one, because for sure, the number of problems we would have introduced would have been a lot. And as well, it's now a bunch of Angular JS people building React something or others. And so what you first start writing isn't necessarily the best React code that you really want. And so yeah. you don't yet have the conventions. And so give yourself time to come up with the conventions rather than... You go and full convert everything and then realize, oh, actually, I want all these other conventions. And now you have an entire app not following conventions. So there's that. I think one of the other challenges I say is kind of the the data fetching, because we had all of our data fetching through Angular services. Mm-hmm. And I th- I would put this, I guess, as some advice, particularly in the incremental adoption stage of We basically created a global function to import Angular services, which sounds a bit wild, but if you like really boil it down, an Angular service is just a like function. (laughs) (laughs) And so if, if we had a service that fetched things from the API, we could just grab the service through Angular and then use the exact same one, which limited how many, like how much code we needed to rewrite. And if our services are doing some weird things, uh, which some of them were, whether it's caching or whatever, it all stays consistent. And so it's kind of, it's frustrating at times, but still kind of accepting that you're within the framework, I think helps to make sure that you're not breaking things along the way. And then once you kind of have your the React side of things settle down a little bit, then you can focus on, okay, well, if we were to remove this completely, how do we want that to look? So kind of just trying to trying to tackle problems and questions one at a time. It's maybe what I'd boil that down to. Cool.
3: How about uh, unit tests where that's... Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. So that's my
2: philosophy for now, which I think will change as we get a larger team, has been to focus primarily on end-to-end tests mm. rather than unit tests. And that's actually been a saving grace in multiple ways because you're then testing the system from just kind of like the DOM perspective. And I think it's it's helped show us that some of these things actually work because we have almost, I think, 10 of them just kind of like going through the app and being like, hey, does anything explode?
3: <laughs> yeah, no, that makes total sense. And it's being abstracted from the framework, like you said, it just gives you like tests to make sure everything's, in theory, if you have a really good set of end-to-end tests, it, it kind of is your validation that you're doing the conversion correctly. So, yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. What uh, are you using any, like, what tools are you using for end-to-end tests? Do you have any, uh, like, recommendations, things you like using, or?
2: We're, we're on Protractor, which I, I can't even remember, but I feel like was an AngularJS specific one back so. in the day. Yeah, it was, like, yeah. It was like Google, <laughs> and it, it was kind
0: of coupled with Google. I remember going to, like, a talk about it, and it was like all Google Angular kind of stuff. Which is fine, and I say that <laughs> very tentatively.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, you really sold that. <laughs>
2: it's more the I don't know what I would necessarily switch over to yet and that's not where any of my attention is currently because it works but there's just been numerous problems with it where waiting for things to be done and to be clicked or changing web pages just didn't really work and so we have certain ones that just got so complicated and then as well the way that it deals with promises I think got baked in after the fact and so sometimes it just doesn't work or if a an error gets thrown in a certain way the whole test loses track of it because you have to call next <laughs> and then your, stu- like your test just has to time out because it never finishes and no. so yeah. all kinds of problems and then as well the um I don't even remember what it is but updating the selenium drivers I think that's what it is um mm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. just we had problems across our CI and then locally it's kind of like anytime somebody went to install this even with instructions that are like okay find your version of Chrome specify this exact version (laughs) just was far too difficult more than I think it should have been.
0: (laughs) I think some of the newer ones take care of that you know and a couple of different things are better waiting and all that sort of stuff but still one of those things with the end to end test where they're just so flaky you know, it's like I, I remember at at Walmart we had the system where basically we'd run a whole bunch of EDE tests, and we, it was only on the third time when they didn't pass so we'd actually say, "Yeah, that didn't pass," because they're just <laughs> so flaky. It's like we just oh, give them yeah. three times and maybe it'll work. And if it works
3: at any point, in there you're good. Yeah, we still we're so we're using Cypress at Blues, and I yeah, mostly yeah. I mostly have good things to say about it. It works quite well, but it's the same sort of thing. I, I think it's like. It's an inherently hard problem. I feel like is part of it because you're testing something with all sorts of asynchronous, acronicity, or the, whatever the word is bu- <laughs> built into it. Right? You got to wait for things to load. Things might not be there. But yeah, we we run into problems where sometimes it just randomly the the CI sir will fail build saying it couldn't find this header. And then you're like, what do you like? How could you not find that header? Right? Like that's that's. <laughs> it's right there and then you just rerun it and it works just fine yeah, whoop, so there's, there's still even even with a tool and a tool chain that i think is quite good and that we, we like we're still <laughs> we still fight it regularly so i don't know we we still i feel as an industry don't have like a magic bullet a uh, great solution to this so right yeah
0: no it's tough because like i've definitely seen code bases where it's like 100% unit tested you know and it's like but what are you testing like, you know, you're, if you're doing like snapshots on a button component, really? Like, is that like, <laughs> what, what, what is that? Like, it, it, why would it fail? And, and I'm sure it runs fast, I guess, but like, it makes your code seem very like rigid. Like you're just, Oh, I changed one tiny little thing. And next thing I know, I'm breaking like a hundred unit tests because, Oh my God, snapshots didn't work. And so everybody's just like, update snapshots all the time and nobody cares. Right. So it's yeah. always <laughs> passing, but what are you really testing? And then on the other side end-to-end testing is just so kind of brittle and, and it's slow and they so end up like grid vendors and things like that to like make it faster. Oh, God, it's a mess. Yeah, there's really no, I've seen really good solutions. Yeah,
2: but I, I found it's, what I'd slowly like to do is we we currently require our end-to-end tests to pass before we can deploy, but right. I, I'd probably remove that condition, but you still kind of like have a clear indication of did it pass or not? So you have to say, oh, I know that this is that flaky error. It's fine (laughs) Um, because it it has most definitely caught things. And I think that's what it's extremely useful for is when you're like, yep, 100 percent. This page just didn't load. And I have never been to that page. (laughs) (laughs) Did you actually do you actually call prod services or do you mock everything? It's, it runs it runs a full backend server. It runs the whole thing and makes requests,
0: creates users, uh, but it's like signs. known good data or something at least like that. Uh, it creates its own data through it. So right, like, okay. So it's yeah, no, so, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I think actually mocking that adds a level of stability in that like there's not you're not at least, you're at least not like making the calls. But then again, you know you don't really know. And getting back to the trade-offs, it's like classic <laughs> software. <laughs> it depends. So every it yeah, it's it classic depends. software development.
3: So Adam, you have a lot of different stuff you've r- written about recently. So maybe we could just do a, <laughs> a little bit of like a lightning round here because I'm just curious about some of these. So uh, you've you've written about switching out uh, Webpack and create React app with ES Build. So yeah. I'm curious, maybe you could give us like the the, the TLDR, the, the short version of that one and like what brought that up and like why you wanted to share Information on that,
2: yeah. So the hopefully short version is that <laughs> Webpack production builds are blow my mind how slow they are. Like even just a normal create React app, you've got maybe seven seconds to do a production build. But I, that's maximum a megabyte of JavaScript getting converted. So what's happening? But then you throw in the fact, and this is kind of our case with Auto is your code grows, you have more stuff, and all of a sudden you have a bunch of files, and at a certain point. Our production build, particularly on like a slower server, for example, could be over a minute, more, two Mm -hmm. minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's just insanity to me. (laughs) And so I heard about ES build and then started exploring it and then realized that that was kind of, at least for now, looking like the best solution to this problem of just taking the exact same thing that Webpack is building and put it in a language that's actually fast and then more importantly, parallelize it. Like, why does Webpack basically run everything on a single thread is wild. And so seeing, seeing the build times with ESBuild, I've been super happy. Where all of a sudden, instead of having to do these, like, incremental builds, with ESBuild, you can just run the whole thing. It's fast enough. <laughs> and so I wanted to kind of, I'm a little bit frustrated even that Create React app still is suggesting, oh, hey, use Webpack, because it's just setting you up for eventual failure.
3: I, I'm actually kind of surprised because we've we've had some ES build related guests on the show too. And and people that have used it, like everybody has positive things to say about it. It's I, I think nobody questions that it's not in order of magnitude faster. I almost wonder if for Create React app, if they have to worry about like backwards compatibility, or I, you know, it's it's a enormously widely distributed and used thing and people do like upgrade their create react apps. so i imagine this would be a pretty like a enormous breaking change Mm because it seems like a no-brainer to me but i also don't have to worry about the like all the work that goes into doing that and putting out documentation on it and whatnot but i i don't know in my mind that can be the only real reason because es builds just seems to be such a obvious slam dunk at this point yeah. You need to which
0: parallelize I, TypeScript type checking, though, if you want to do type in there. That's because the DES build doesn't do the TypeScript checking. At least the last time I looked
3: at it. No, which
2: to me is fine. Cause I've even realized now that like as you're writing your code, it's already giving you all the warnings. And so mm. when you go to do your build, unless like basically like your final CI build, yeah, run like a final TypeScript check, but. Yeah. It's like, get me the output JS so I can just run it in the browser as quickly as possible. And you can do uh, a parallel,
0: right? You could actually run the TSC exactly in another yeah. parallel job. Uh, but
2: just to cycle back on what you're saying about Create React app is they can't do it because they have all these other people using it and they can't upgrade. It kind of comes back to my argument again Next like Next.js is here we've found a clear, better solution, but they can't do it because the education and people are on it. And it's like, I don't want to be stuck with one minute, two minute builds at some point and have no control over changing that basically.
3: Well, are you using create React app for your project you're converting from Angular or do you, are no, you doing it from Angular? We, we have a whole okay.
2: custom build process that we built. And so.
3: All right, TJ, what's, what's lightning round two here? <laughs> lightning round two, so you've got an article about giving up a cell phone for Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> so what, uh, I'll start by asking what what prompted this? Like what, what made you want to bite the bullet Several things. I think
2: cell phone addiction is probably the the main one. Just like finding yourself anywhere and you have four seconds. And in those four seconds, your phone has somehow come out and you have clicked something or not. You're just swiping on nothing. And so I, I started to realize that and just wasn't particularly happy with it and just felt like my whole life was in this little four inch device and as well on top of that i was just kind of interested i've heard about kaios i don't know if you guys have heard of that no. the name sounds familiar it's like lightweight like
3: phone operating system pretty maybe? much yeah
2: so okay. it's nokia still releases feature phones they're less popular in north america obviously but they've now become i think it's the third largest uh uh phone operating system in the world now it's only maybe like 3% or less um <laughs> but They've kind of, they're sending out their operating system on feature phones. And so I was kind of interested in what's happening there. And so I figured I could tie the two together and say, well, the only way I'm going to do this is if I drop my smartphone completely. And so I did. I, I actually, I don't remember which came first, but I eventually gave my smartphone away. And so <coughs> then I was forced to actually use this Nokia. And the first week was very interesting because you still like you this the same device in your pocket or you think it is and so you're like oh well I'm a little bit bored what am I going to do and you're like you open this thing up and you're like is there a browser yes but it's so painful <laughs> to go try to do anything it's that opera, you just put right? it away <laughs> but then all of a sudden the first few days I kind of like got over that initial hump and all of a sudden I felt human again <laughs> all of a sudden it's kind of like oh well I'm not just going to waste my time on this device. So let me plan something to do. I found myself with more energy. I woke up like not worrying about, hey, what, 16 notifications are going to be on my phone. And instead, hey, it's morning. Like, let's let's go eat. Let's just do something.
3: That's cool. Interesting. It's uh, K-A-I-O-S, too, for anybody that's going to i gonna Google this and check it out.
0: Well, on a tangential note, with this, so I, I I did wake up this morning. I was looking through my my notifications, and one was for a Kotaku article on Diablo Immortal, which is this new <laughs> version of Diablo for the phone. <laughs> and they say that to level up a character, like, is potentially a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars of charges. <laughs> and I was like, Are you out of your mind? Like the, that's the crazy because I was like, oh, maybe I'll try this Diablo Immortal thing because I actually have like some time to kill every once in a while. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's no way I'm gonna ever. No, I'm
3: good. I do not need to lose five hundred thousand dollars into some I, game. I will say, like, I've been tempted to do something like this because I've. I, I think almost anybody listening can relate to the like smartphone obsession. Oh, no. Like the like it's it, it really is a like painful addiction. I will say one thing I've done that's helped me that's not quite the like cold turkey approach you took is just drastically reducing the number of things that can notify me has helped Mm me quite a bit uh like in uninstalling certain apps like i i I hadn't been using facebook in forever so i just got rid of it i turned off notifications on twitter because i figured well i'll check them periodically right but like i don't need to know the second somebody says something to me i'll get back to them so Really, I only have notifications on for things like messages, important things, and that's helped me quite a bit. I still have that tendency. I still use my phone more than I should, but I think like even taking baby steps has helped me quite a bit, not feeling s- <laughs> so attached. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe screen you'll time encourage me to, is good. to Yeah, screen time too.
2: Yeah, I would definitely encourage the 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 cold turkey experience. It's it's painful, especially the first little while. I. I also, I, I dropped off caffeine a while ago and it's kind of like similar Ooh. feelings of, and that's when I knew it was an addiction is when like, the the first couple few days were gen, like uncomfortable. And that's how I know that something weirdly chemical was going on. And then once you kind of exit that, you can see what life is like without it. And then you see other people on their smartphones and you, you see them in a totally different way. That's like, I went camping and people were like, on their smartphones. So I was like, Whoa.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, Totally. I right, do want to do one more lightning round and then,
3: and then, and then picks. Yeah. So the, here we go. the last article I was going to ask you about, you have a, an article called three lines of code shouldn't take <laughs> all day. And I, I thought what was interesting about that is you've got some background in the the gaming industry and I feel like we could do an entire podcast about <laughs> that, but Maybe you'd just like to share just like some for some advice, Uh, because I thought you're like the point out of that article was quite good. So maybe you want to give people the the idea behind that. And then we'll link that one up, too, if people want to read through the whole thing. Sure. How do I keep this lightning? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Take a a few minutes. Okay.
2: so the articles from a time when I worked at Electronic Arts on the FIFA team and I joined there as a co-op, so essentially an intern. And obviously, I don't, I don't know much. That was my first time working in C++, first time working on a code base that large. So I knew nothing and then worked on a fairly small team. And on top of that, there wasn't really kind of like a formal, hey, here, get to know like the entire code base. Uh, we were more kind of maintaining an older product. And so first of all, for that part of the experience, there weren't many changes that we were making code-wise. And so I would kind of like explore and learn it. But then later on, I kind of, re- I returned as a full-time and that's when I sort of like really started writing code. And with with consoles and even just game development as well, there's, there's a huge build process that exists for one. And so you have just the build process alone, like a, a clean build, I forget exactly, but it's from nothing to to build it's probably an hour if oh. everything is like gets yes. installed correctly <laughs> mm-hmm. and then after that your incremental build you could be looking at for the actual game itself 10 seconds, maybe worse, but that's just to say, cool, your code compiled. Then it needs to deploy the game to the machine that you're gonna run it on. Then the game by default has, okay, like here's all the screens need to go through before you can get into the game. And then I work on a specific game mode. You gotta go through, find the specific game mode you're going to. You've got a bug that's in like the third season of career mode, and all of a sudden (laughs) how do you how do you actually test that? And so the article focuses more kind of on the writing code side of things but also just talks a bit about the tools that people eventually did build there um and they were there when i i joined so i don't know when they were actually built but basically we had a whole testbed where instead of running the game itself you would just run effectively the logic but in kind of a a fake ui environment so you could that code was just our code rather than the entire game code And so you've got a much quicker compile there. And what's complicated with some of these scenarios is it's a bit harder to unit test because there's so many things that need to occur sometimes before you can make something happen where like certain decisions over here all of a sudden affected the output here. So you don't even know what to unit test because you haven't recreated the situation. And so what I was finding, though, is even with that, making a change could take kind of an entire day and you kind of you get to the end of the day and you're like, well, I've only written three lines of code, which is mm-hmm. kind of where it comes from. And I, I don't talk too much about this, but short, shortly after that, I switched over to, to web development and it was it blew my mind how you're just cr- cranking out new stuff just constantly and how easy that that is. And that's something that I kind of wished that we could have had more of because the ability to kind of quickly iterate on stuff like that and have confidence that things are working correctly is super important.
3: I think that plays nicely into a lot of your other stuff as well, like the ES build, right? Like just the faster you can see things, it's amazing. Like, I mean, obviously there's the extreme of taking an hour to do a full build, but even saving yourself seconds here or there, it's amazing how that can keep you in the, the right mindset like so you don't have to context shift because well if you, the build's running right you're going to pick up your smartphone and you're going yeah. <laughs> to
0: tie it all together yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna bring gonna all your articles into this articles on my on my smartphone so i can <laughs> yeah. flip through them you know while i'm on the toilet anyway so <laughs> sounds like a good time to do some picks
1: Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching.
0: Mr. TJ, would you like to start us off with your pick for this week?
1: Sure,
3: I'm going to pick Netlify functions. Oh, yeah. Related pick this week. Um, I needed a quick, very quick and dirty little like serverless function thing. And I've always liked using Netlify for hosting web apps and such. And they're functions i had heard of, but I hadn't actually sat down and tried them. And it's, it's actually kind of amazingly easy. You just you more or less create a functions folder in your web app, uh, and then you could just create like JavaScript files that they will deploy to s- magically make work in a serverless environment. So you can hit it the same URL your web app's running on. So if you just if you have an existing app and you just need a couple of like quick and dirty functions that need to run serverless, it's uh, in my limited experience I've got a all of you know a day and a half working with them. So maybe I'll have to report back <laughs> a little bit later, but. At the very least, they've nailed the, like, getting started, getting up and running experience. They've done that. Yeah, and, and the deploy times are crazy fast. Speaking of the yeah. whole, like, like three lines and, and all day sort of thing. You can what test them cool. locally very easily, mm-hmm. too, which is something I've struggled with with some serverless yeah. stuff in the past. Like, sometimes you can't, like, replicate production locally. And they've made that pretty darn easy, at least for my simple stuff. So that's well, my pick. All right. Well, I
0: am going to go with... I'm a huge Kato fan. And a, a while back, he released a book micro state management with react hooks and i got it and i i was really struggling because i love and i love his content and i love his state managers and all that but like the the formatting of the code was absolutely terrible in the book i mean it was like every line was like separated it was like this big gray bar black text in it so the contrast was low and then there were these big bar and like white bars in between really hard to read and it's like just a simple on goal like, you made the code hard to read in the book. Come on. And uh, so they actually, to their credit, PACT actually went in and fixed it. And so now I can finally legit recommend this book, MicroState Manager with, uh, Micro State Management with React Hooks, which goes over a, a whole bunch of his his cool uh, state managers like Zustand and Jotai and a lot of these ones that I've really been enjoying that are kind of alternatives to your Redux MobX hegemony. Want to call it that, even though I think Redux has improved a lot with create, well, with, uh, the old Redux tool. All right. Uh, Adam, what's your yeah,
2: pick? My pick, I thought about it for a while and then I actually mm. stumbled on a TV show recently and it's called Upload. It's mm. on Amazon and it's
0: science fiction, drama, oh, oh, comedy. Uplo- oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. The guy dies and then he yeah. goes, yeah. Well, di- yeah, dies. Okay. And then yeah. he gets uploaded.
2: And then he gets uploaded right. to this right. kind of like digital afterlife and it's just it's got some interesting kind of commentary on where our society is maybe heading towards and and then as well as just kind of funny in some of the things that it makes dramatic that may or may not occur and just the i think the, the the concept of consciousness and whether we can capture it in a digital version is interesting in itself so i'm only a couple episodes in but the the concept I find interesting. And so I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes.
0: It's great. And season two, as our, as our call is really good too. So cool. yeah, you'll cool. enjoy it. All right. Well, this is a great episode. Thank you so much, Adam, for showing up. Oh, and I'd like to actually make sure everyone knows that we have a Discord server and we will have the link in the show notes where you can jump on our Discord server, or go into our React Roundup channel and ask us any questions or give us any comments you might have about the show or any suggestions you have always open to those cool ideas all right
1: see you next time cool thanks adam thank you guys bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit dot to learn more